When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Tech fans, and welcome into episode 178 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. What a great show we have planned for you today. We'll start off the podcast by previewing the 2021 NFL draft that gets underway later this week, where Christian Darisaw and Caleb Farley might go in the first round. Plus, what about Khalil Herbert and Divine Diablo? We get into some mock drafts and where we could see Hokies fall in this week's NFL Draft. Plus, coming up a little bit later, important questions about the upcoming season for Virginia Tech football. We've been doing position previews the last couple of weeks. Now we do overview, big picture questions going into the 2021 season. And reactions about the Reach for Excellence campaign from Will and Chris a week removed. It's all coming up, episode 178 of the Tech Sideline Podcast that gets started right now. Whether you're watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, so glad that you could join us as we record on Monday morning, April 26th. Our crew, as always, to my left, we're wearing the same tech sideline polo today, our managing editor here at TSL, Chris Coleman. Across the way, he's looking spiffy today. He is Will Stewart, our founder and general manager mm-hmm. behind the scenes, the best podcast producer in the land. He is Malcolm Stewart, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Again, great to have you with us as we record on Monday morning, April 26th. If you're watching live on YouTube right now, we want you to drop a question in that we'll get to at the end of the show. But I mean, whether live or archived, well, what, what are just two simple things you could do right now? Or three things, actually. Like and subscribe. And definitely submit a question, but the, the YouTube algorithm really likes once the archive video is posted for you to comment. So appreciate everybody who's been commenting, and uh, I think that's been helping. We got pretty good traction on the last podcast. Uh, could have been the subject matter, though. You know, we went over 2,000... YouTube views for the first time in a while in the last podcast. So very cool. The last time we went over 2000 views on a podcast was the Monday after the North Carolina state, Virginia tech thrilling, uh, dual meet that won the dual meet championship so you did your research i did i was just talking to chris about that so that was a that was a great show speaking of thrilling moments such as virginia tech beating north carolina state in wrestling where is this going you could help virginia tech wrestling today (laughs) by going to southeastrtc.com to get involved with virginia tech wrestling a program that finished number two and number three in two different polls in the country at the end of the regular season. Again, that's southeastrtc.com to get involved with Virginia Tech Wrestling, one of the best wrestling programs in the entire country. 
So let's expand upon that. Did you see the news from yesterday for Virginia Tech Wrestling? Unfortunately, I'm looking it up on my phone. They got to a get big commitment. They got a big time commitment. They got a 2022 wrestler who is tops in his weight class and top 10 in the country. You know, when you dedicate a lot of uh, resources to a program, they tend to recruit better. Yes. Um, <laughs> now, it's, it's, we can drill that into the Reach for Excellence stuff later, but, uh, you know, Tony Roby and Jared Freyer and that staff do such a good job recruiting. Southeast Regional Training Center is a big part of that. And if they ever one, – one of the uh, uh, weapons that is not in the holster for them is, is all in-state scholarship costs. If they ever get that tool in their toolbox, it's going to get even better. And we'll talk about that some later. So before we get into it, I want to give a shout-out to my guy Jeb Burton. Got his first Xfinity win over the weekend. Uh, I was mad because it was on a different channel and my television didn't DVR it, you know. Oh, so I, and I, I was out shopping and stuff. So anyway, congratulations to Jeb. I, I put a lot of time in watching Jeb, wanting him to win, and then I'm AWOL the day he finally does. At, so uh, the Talladega, right? A Talladega, buddy. Right, right. Shake and bake. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, you know, I was a big Elliott Sadler fan back in the day. Uh all because he drove the Virginia Tech car in, in yeah. Richmond that year. And he had a couple of famous wrecks at Talladega. Uh, you, should go, you should go YouTube them when, you, uh, when we finish the podcast. Who, who was it that went airborne in the Cup Series yesterday? Joey, Joey Logano. It's interesting because Logano was doing color analysis on the Xfinity race, and then the next day he goes airborne in the, in the Cup race. <laughs> so just, just a <laughs> great a day weekend. for Jeb. Uh, I did get to see the replay at, at uh, late uh, Saturday night. Just he raced really well. The car was good. The pit crew was good. Just one of those days for him. So shout out to him because he does listen to the podcast and he will eventually be a guest. Yes, really looking forward to having him on. A big congratulations to uh, to Jeb and he's a pro hokey, and there are going to be a, lot, a couple more pro hokies nice by segue. the end of this week with the 2021 <laughs> NFL Draft. That's what we're going to lead off the podcast with. But again, a little bit later, we'll get into the biggest question marks will and chris have going into the 2021 season for virginia tech football we'll get into big picture questions questions such as if the Hokies are going to be a contender for the acc title this player not named braxton burmeister has to be a big part of the success of the team those kind of questions are coming up a little bit later as well as the reach for excellence campaign but it is that week the nfl draft it is reality television uh, for four hours on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, what player is going to slide? What player goes early? Two potential Hokies. Well, actually, not even potential. Two Hokies are going in the first round. One would be a surprise if he doesn't go in the first round. That's Caleb Farley. The question is, will he slide because of his medical status? But uh, Christian Darisol is going to be a first-round pick. But before we get into the 2021 NFL Draft and where these Hokies could go, I'm curious... Do you have a favorite NFL draft that surrounds around a Virginia Tech player or players being picked? It would have to be the one where the Edmonds brothers were, were both taken in the first round. Mm -hmm. That was That's 2018. A, yeah. And I think in 2005 they had something like eight guys selected, and, and, and that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, 2005 they had, about, they had a bunch of guys. So there were a few years there. I want to say 2002 draft, that 2001 team that had so many good uh, defensive players on it. Yeah. Uh, plus, like Andre Davis on offense. Uh, that was a big draft for Tech, too. Um, 
So generally, though, yeah, like the one Will mentioned where that both Edmonds brothers went in the first round. And those drafts where you knew like a large, large amount of players were going to be drafted. Uh, I guess it would have been 2006 draft, Will. I, I'm season. feverishly looking it up on Wikipedia. Yeah, so that should have been guys like, uh, oh, uh, my, uh, Jeff King would have been in that draft. A uh, ton of guys on defense, you know, like. Uh, Man, this I is a Jim, lot of Jimmy, scrolling. Jimmy Williams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Justin Hamilton would have been wow, in the 2006 so, so draft. Wow, so 2006, mm-hmm. it is a long list. Uh, Jimmy Williams, Daryl Tapp were second-round selections. Uh, James Anderson was a third-round selection. Jeff King, fifth-round selection. Jonathan Lewis, sixth-round. And then the seventh-round, Justin Hamilton, mm. Jimmy Humes. Martin. Humes is in there, isn't he? Will Montgomery and Cedric Humes. Yeah. Cedric Humes was was the last guy picked amongst the Hokies. From from pick number two twenty two to two forty, there were four Hokies selected. Yeah. So if you were still watching it at that point, it was like Virginia yeah. Tech, Virginia Tech, Virginia yeah, Tech. Yeah, yeah, it sure was. Yeah. Um, I so, remember. I remember way back in the day, back in the nineties. I guess this would have been the ninety eight draft. Uh, some of you watching don't go back this far, but Tech had uh, Ken Oxendine and Marcus Parker in the backfield. And they both got drafted back-to-back picks oh, yeah. in the seventh round. Both number 201 and number 202 in yep, the seventh that's round. That's right. So when I said 2005, I actually meant the 2006 class he's that Chris two, was talking he's about. He's talking 2005 season. Yep. Yeah. So uh, an underrated one, and this is simply because of just one player I can remember. and I either, It's either 2011 or 2012, but when Tyrod got drafted, I can remember being in middle been, school – I thought that he was going to go 2011. I thought he might be a fourth or fifth rounder, but I remember, you know, once, you know, Roger Goodell will do the announcing the picture of the first round, maybe a little bit of the second, then celebrities, and then it's like the backup commissioner, like the associate commissioner, is reading <laughs> off a microphone. Of. <laughs> Who's, who is this the, guy? The, the only thing in his job description is you will do the fourth round of the NFL. Right. <laughs> but then Tyrod got picked at, Will, was it the sixth round by the Rams? Yeah, it was, it was sixth round, 15th pick, 180 overall. And uh, I remember being so excited for him. And then, of course, he won a Super Bowl with yeah. the Ravens his second year as the backup to Joe Flacco. So, anyways, I remember being very excited that he was uh, that he was drafted. He plays for Houston now, right? He does. He just yeah. signed a free agent deal. He might yes. find himself as a starter this year. There is a giant <laughs> sucking sound at the starting position there due, due to some off-field incidents. Yeah. So, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the draft. From that standpoint. Nobody has had a more unfortunate NFL career than Tyrod Taylor and what's happened to him, right? Like he leads Buffalo to their first playoff appearance in decades. They move off of him. Then he goes to Cleveland. He's the starter. He gets hurt. Baker Mayfield comes in. And then he goes to Los Angeles. He's the starter. His doctor punctures his oh, lung. Gosh. His yeah. own team doctor. Yeah. And then Justin Herbert takes over. So right. anyways. So so if I if I had a piece for for a piece of advice for, for Tyrod Taylor, and, and again, I'm not a big NFL guy, but I do remember watching some of that season where it was him and Baker Mayfield uh, playing for Cleveland. And to me, the, the real difference in those two guys was that Tyrod was a game manager and conservative, yeah. and when Mayfield came in, he was slinging it around. Just slinging it around. It was and, like that in Buffalo, too, with, with Tyrod. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, High and, completion and, percentage, but very safe passes. And that's yeah. probably where it really it – really, 
formed in him was to be careful. You know, it, it was in Buffalo. But, I think uh, it formed at Virginia Tech. Well, <laughs> this too is true. <laughs> but he, he's had a long career as a backup. If he gets his chance, man, just throw it well, all over the yard. Just have let it rip, man. Let I it mean, rip, dude. You've already played in the league for 10 years. You're 32 you years old. You have got nothing to lose nothing to lose everything at all. To See, Tyrod's <laughs> a great last-round pick in a fantasy draft because he's going to get your rushing yards. Yeah, that's that's true. He's not going to turn. He's not going to go out there and score twenty five points, but he's consistently going to be in that fifteen to twenty point range. Right. Won't turn the football. That's that's the biggest strength about Tyrod is that he does not turn the ball over. Yeah, so, Beamer would agree with that statement. Yeah. So, and, anyways, and, yeah, and so my big concern about the Dolphins is watching uh, Tua, and and he kind of played like that real conservative last year, and then they brought. There was one game in particular I watched where they the Dolphins just weren't doing anything. Then they brought in Brian, Ryan Fitzpatrick and boom, boom, boom. You know, all, Fitz all magic happens. It's magic. Now in Washington. Yeah, that, so. that, that was the crazy game where Fitz magic, you know, pulled a touchdown out of his hat in the last 10 what seconds. What does he care at like this that. point? What is he, 36 years old? 38, he's but he's going to be the starter for the Washington <laughs> he, football he, team he's this year. Played, he's made plenty of money. He's got nothing to lose. He's got an Ivy League degree to fall back on. Yeah, so right. Like, <laughs> so. You know where he went to school, Will? I do not. He went to Harvard. Harvard, Harvard man. Yeah. So he's got a Harvard degree. He's played in the league. He's 38 now. He's still a starting quarterback. Made a lot of money. He's called Fitzmagic. Mm-hmm. Pretty good career. I mean, I mean, yeah. impeccable dresser. Impeccable dresser. <laughs> and he's got the beard. I did not think we'd be talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick anyway, before well, we talked about Christian Darisol today, but there you go. That's, to bring that's this the, back around, uh, more than one mock draft uh, says that Darisol is going to go to the Washington football team. So let's let's transition again. Twenty twenty one NFL draft. The Hokies are going to have at least one, likely two players taken in the first round. Will's done a great job of compiling all these different um, uh, news outlets and organizations and where they have Darisaw, Farley, Diablo, and Herbert going. Because right now those are the well, I think it's fair to say those are the four guarantees that will be taken at some point in the draft for Virginia Tech. Yes, I noticed that I did not put ESPN on this list, so maybe maybe we can pull them up while, while we're talking. But I do have there. There's a couple that the Athletic does. One of them is done by Dane Brugler. Is that his last name? And Dane, so Dane does his own thing, and he does all seven rounds. I think is and yep. and then they produced one by their staff, which I think was the first and second round, kind of uh, tossing the ball around on a bunch of different people. Then there were uh, four people projecting for CBS Sports, and we've got them. And then there's a USA Today, WalterFootball.com, and the DraftNetwork.com. So we can go over all that. So Christian Darisaw on the uh, – and I've got Dane Brugler. He calls it the beast. Like you said, he's got every projected player drafted, like a profile. It's like 150 pages. Okay. But he's got Christian Darisaw as the number three overall offensive tackle. Has him as a four-short first-round pick, probably somewhere in the – early teens to late teens. Mm -hmm. But as you said, uh, we look at the different projections. I mean, anywhere from 13 to, gosh, what, 24? 24, but but there's only one pick out of this entire list that has him going outside the teens. Yeah. Yeah, the 24th thing. One guy from CBS has him going 24th, but that's lower – than anybody else. Let me. Uh, I'm going to read real quick just a couple of sentences from Dane Brugler of the Athletic on Darisol. By the way, 322 pounds, right from uh, Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Uh, it says strengths. He's girthy, well distributed frame, quick out of his stance to win body angles and shield defenders. 
a tad heavy, but stays coordinated <laughs> mid-shuffle to sit in his stance and remain square to rushers. Weaknesses gives up ground when he doesn't play strong or accurate with his hands. And then the bottom line in bold, overall, I wish Darisol was a more consistent finisher, but he has outstanding body control and feet for a man his size and shows the technique to be an NFL starter at either tackle or guard. I would argue that uh, Chaz Surratt down at North Carolina would, mm. would, would say that Darisol is, is, is Darisol a pretty good can finish. finish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but that, that is one of the few negatives against him is that uh, – um, that he doesn't play completely whistle to whistle. Yeah, know? and here, here's here's and this is the same. It's even more pronounced, I think, from high school to college. But you know, he's going to be a first round pick. Everybody knows he's going to be a first round pick. Yet there are like a list of cons here, even for first round picks. Like this, the whole this whole thing of you know picking prospects and everything is. Uh, is, is somewhat of a crapshoot. Too quick to open up outside hip and let defenders run the loop on him. Patient to a fault at times. No urgency when loses control of blocks. Run heavy Virginia Tech offense. Rarely left him on an island. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, you, you can nitpick everybody and find faults. Uh, I, the stuff about him not finishing and not playing to the whistle, and basically what that means is uh, – you know, he's not driving anybody into the ground right at the end of plays and everything. Like Wyatt Teller Like does. Wyatt Teller used to do. <laughs> uh, yet he grades out much higher than Teller ever did at the college level. Um, Darisaw is just about the most technically sound offensive lineman you'll see, I think. And sometimes guys who are so focused on their technique that that takes away from their aggressiveness a little right. bit. Right. Um Nobody would describe Wyatt Teller as like a technically sound player when he was at Virginia Tech. He was not as technically sound as as Darisaw. Um, they're two different players. Um, I think he's probably more technically sound now than he was then, and now he's probably the best guard in the NFL. Yeah, something really started both of them. Something really started I, clicking for him when he got I, to the I think, NFL. I think I think Darisaw. I, I think he'll be a long-time player in the NFL. I, I think he'll always be a technically sound player. Um, and as those techniques, they become second nature to him, that's going to open up his aggressiveness to a certain yeah. extent. Like, he's not going to have to think about technique so much. And he's just going to focus on being aggressive because he's going to go out there and know what to do every snap without even thinking about it. So uh, I, I think uh, – I think – that's something I would not necessarily overlook, but I, I just think that's something that's going it's to be nitpicking. overcome with time. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of I get Car and Driver magazine. I've I've been getting it since 1988 when I when I first got out of tech, and when they review cars, they 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 of course do the long written review, and then in a little box they'll have three positives for a car and three negatives. They can review one of the best cars in the world, but they have to list three negatives. Right. So it's kind of like that. You know, you're not going to get in one of their top 10 cars that their top 10 list they do every year and focus on those three negatives. It's just something they do in their articles. And that's what you're experiencing here. Yeah. So you look at where he could go. Again, it looks like, I think it's fair to say, anywhere from 10 to 20. Yeah. The, it's yeah, fair. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the draft network, you know, it's interesting. Most of this stuff, guys, is, is, actual mock drafts but a couple of these things are 
kind of ranking players as prospects, prospects without really considering the dynamics of the draft and team needs and things like that. And Walter, the, the draft network, excuse me, not Walter Football, but the draftnetwork.com lists Farley as the number seven prospect and Darasaw is number 12. Uh, a whole Caleb Farley with no injury history is absolutely a top 10 prospect. I mean, there just aren't very many guys who run like that and who are as big as him mm-hmm. at the corner cornerback position. Caleb Farley is like Jimmy Williams except faster not not as physical against the run but from a pure coverage standpoint which is the most important thing for a corner yeah he's like jimmy williams except much faster uh, yeah one of the things that I, that I think pff says about uh, farley is let me see if i can find the exact wording top end speed closed distance anytime a wide receiver got a step on him downfield and something else i read didn't say anytime it said Every single time he, right. he he loses ground, he makes it back up. Right, and you know Farley, number seven overall prospect. I think D'Angelo Hall was the number eight pick in the mm-hmm. draft by the Falcons back in the day. Farley, from an athletic standpoint, you know he's a D'Angelo Hall level prospect, but he's three inches taller. But it's what holds him back is his is the back injury and the fact that. He didn't play this past year. You know, he's only got one, he's got one good year. And not even a whole year. Yeah. Which Remember, by, he missed the last two games with that back injury. Not, not to cut you off, but one thing that, going back to Darisol real quick, a con from Pro Football Focus is that only one year of elite grading, massive leap from 2019 to 2020. So both, I mean, Farley and Darisol are first-round talents based off of one right. great year. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't. how much is that true for most players, though? Most draft picks. I mean, Darius only played three years of college, and like most guys, he took a massive leap forward between his second and third year. Yeah, and 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 most guys that do take that big leap are going to go pro. One of the more kind of kind of just made me kind of wrinkle my face and go, really, is is a couple of these guys I read about. They're kind of old. They're twenty two or twenty three. You know, we talk about that that's with, all, the, with yeah. the NBA all the time. NBA, but that's, really, the NFL thinks like on. that too. Yeah. I mean, a twenty two year old rookie in the NFL—that's fine. That's ideal. Right, right. Because yeah. he's big. He's a man. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and physicality. He's not, he's not going to spend half his rookie year hurt because he's just not. He didn't redshirt, and <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, he's not as physically there it is. developed. There it is. <laughs> twenty three <laughs> minutes in. By, by, by the way, Caleb Farley did redshirt. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So, so drilling down into the Darisaw stuff that you were talking about in in twenty eighteen, his PFF grade was a sixty eight point six. As a true freshman, which is very impressive for yeah. a true freshman. In twenty nineteen, it was an eighty point three, which is good. And then in twenty twenty, it was a ninety five point six. Eighty point three is about where Wyatt Teller was for yeah, most of his yeah, college career. Yeah. yeah. And a ninety-five point six for Darisaw, You don't see many, if any, body grade out above that. Basically, uh, I think he's the highest grading, just about the highest grading offensive tackle in all of college football in like the PFF era since twenty fourteen. Yeah. So, so what's interesting is in looking through these mock drafts, he's he's anywhere from the third, fourth, or even fifth best offensive tackle. Um, you know, where, where they project him to go. So this is a guy that's going to get picked somewhere between 14 and 18, and he's actually not even the best offensive tackle. It's a pretty tackle-heavy it is. draft. I'll well, go. yeah, you've actually, you know, I was looking up – what was I looking up? I was looking up Luke Tenuta, and I was lo- and, I, and I wanted to see where he projected to be drafted and everything like that. And I think he's listed as, like, the number 11 tackle prospect for his class. Um 
But that put him like an early fourth round pick. You'd think that wouldn't be very high, but there's such a premium on tackles. Yeah. Uh, they're they're selected way ahead of guards and centers and and things like that. Yeah. Um, well, I was just gonna say. So the offensive tackle list uh, from Dane Brugler of Athletic, Penay Sewell, who arguably, besides Trevor Lawrence, is the best. It's it's Lawrence. Kyle Pitts, this tight end for Florida, is probably the oh, highest. Oh, well, we know all about Kyle end. Pitts. He came down to Virginia Tech and Florida. Yeah. I was reading the bio this morning. I was like, it came down to two schools for Pitts and yeah. went the other way. I hate to say it, it turned out pretty can, can to you, be a pretty you, good decision. Can you imagine? Um, uh, Tech would have had him, Dalton Keene, and James Mitchell on the same all team. All at the same time. Um, Rashawn Slater of Northwestern is the second tackle, and he's supposed he could go anywhere from 7 to 10. And then it's Darisol. However, I wouldn't be surprised, like you said, of the, the pro football focus grades. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see Darisol jump Slater. Sewell is the surefire. Slater's Northwestern. Northwestern. Uh, interesting to go back and look at his recruiting ranking. Oh yeah, because we know I'll tell you right know. now. Give me one second. Okay. Well, we uh, yeah, just just do his name and then two four seven, and that'll take you. He was a three star offensive guard coming out of high school. He's a number 32 guard nationally, number 91 recruit in Texas. <laughs> Overlooked by most Big 12 and Texas programs. Rice right. was the only Texas school to offer him a scholarship. So, uh, who was the first tackle? Uh, Penny Sewell. Sewell. And from uh, where? He is from he, uh, Oregon. Oregon. He, but he's from... So, so look, look up his recruiting ranking. He let's see here. I'm guessing he was probably high a four star right? offensive four-star. guard out of high school, number two guard nationally behind Georgia's okay. Jamari Salyer. So he was a he was a high four star. But it's funny both of them were listed were considered guards coming out yeah, of high how school. About that? I actually thought Darisol was going to play guard coming out Did of high really? school. Yeah. Now yeah. how tall is he again? Six, six five. five yeah. So, so he's not six seven. He's not like he's not this aircraft carrier like a lot of offensive uh, yeah. tackles yeah. are. Um, but. Yeah, so it's interesting. Two of the three on that list, not very many schools wanted. I mean, I think Darisol's only other power, only other division. One, well, no, he was the only FBS one. school. FBS offered. school, yeah, yeah. 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 So, it, it, offensive line recruiting can be, yeah, uh, tricky. Well, and that's why again, I think I think Darisol could go earlier, just because I mean, there's so many teams with young quarterbacks in the NFL. What's the number one thing? You got to have an offensive line to protect them. Is why Sam Darnold didn't work out in New York. Um, so you know you got to have people up front to. So that's why I could see Darisaw maybe even going as high as like ten. But let's move over to corner. So we started talking about Caleb Farley. Um, here's the list I'm looking at from the Athletic. They've got Patrick Sertan of Alabama as the number one right. corner, followed by J.C. Horn of South Carolina. But what's interesting is I had only seen Farley drop to as low as the number three best corner. Athletic actually has Greg Newsom the second of Northwestern jumping Northwestern again again over Ooh. Farley and they've got Farley see, as a first or a second see, round. See where grade. Greg Newsom was ranked. You you pull that up. Yeah, the Farley thing, man. What do you it's think a, about him sliding, Chris? It doesn't surprise me. I mean, first round picks are big, big investments, financial investments for NFL teams, and somebody who didn't play this past year and his best season wasn't even finished because he hurt his back then. Uh, you know, that that's somewhat questionable. And then it comes out a few weeks ago during Pro Day that he had had a back procedure and couldn't participate. My question about that is, you know, why wasn't all that completed early on? You know, why, why is that? Why was it? Why did it take so long? We know. Uh, he, we'll never know. We'll never know. Um, and, unless he has a successful NFL career and they drill down into that detail yeah, later. Exactly. Um, at the same time, man, if, if, if you, if you need a cornerback and you pass on him, 
I think you're passing on the best physically gifted cornerback in the draft. So it's it's a risk reward. You know, you I, I think, you know, Patrick Sertain, I remember when his dad played for the Dolphins. Crazy. Yeah. Uh I he's a sure thing. But I also don't think like his ceiling, while very high, I don't think it's as high as Farley's. So Farley might not be a sure thing because of his back, but you've got arguably you've got the maybe the best cover corner in the NFL yeah. if his back holds up. And and I think he's listed at six two two oh seven. Yep. In the NFL, maybe that'll become two ten two fifteen. Right. You know. Uh, I, m- I remember Michael Vick got just a lot bigger and thicker when he went to the NFL, and that happens to a lot of these guys as they mature. So, by the way, Greg Newsom, the cornerback from Northwestern, who's now kind of jumped over Farley. It's always been Horn, Sertan, and Farley is kind of like the big three. Uh, Newsom was a three-star recruit, recruited by Arkansas, Iowa, Virginia Tech, and that? others. Yeah. Um, so he was the number 107 ranked recruit out of the state of Florida. Out of the state of Florida. So, so probably a Somewhat upper level three star, upper level three star recruit. Uh, so and Farley himself, I think maybe his his only other big offer was like Wake Forest two four seven rated Farley as a four star, but that was at the end of the process. Like he did not have the big offer list and everything. He was very much a under the radar guy until that final ranking came out after he had already signed. So uh, it's, it's interesting to see Northwestern with a couple guys up there, and I. I First of all, it's a really good evaluation and player development by Northwestern. Pat Fitzgerald. So, so, so let's say the same thing about Virginia Tech here. That's really good evaluation and player development by Virginia Tech when it comes to Darisol and Farley because they were not a couple of recruits that everybody was after, right? Um, so I also wonder, like Northwestern, when they announced that $250 million athletic department facility slash beachfront resort that they have up there on, are they getting the, out of their comfort zone right or, i don't know but did I mean, it help, did, did it help them with guys like that okay you, you know uh, that's that's what i mean um but you know i, I don't i don't i think for bang for your buck you know i don't know if there's a program that in the big 10 that gets more from out of you know who they are than the northwestern uh, i mean that's like duke except way better than duke right well it's uh when, when you look at stanford and northwestern that's what duke and uva want to be um you know you're you're probably too young to remember this but northwestern was atrocious when i was young mm-hmm. they they once I, if i remember correctly they they once held the record for uh like 28 do, 29 losses do, in do, a row. do you remember in 1995 when they won, when they made the rose bowl don't get me started. And that uh, they lost to USC actually, but it was a big deal that like Northwestern made the Rose Bowl. Like, where did that come from? Yeah, so you know Virginia Tech's rise to prominence that year was overshadowed by Northwestern's <laughs> right. because you know Northwestern has so many uh, 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 journalism school graduates that they they were they're in they're in Chicago. You know they got all the coverage that Virginia Tech ordinarily might have gotten. Instead, Virginia Tech was, you know, who are these hicks from the sticks, you know? And, and that, anybody <laughs> so, who lived through that remembers They that. got the Hokies in 95, and right now they've got two players overshadowing uh, two in the 2021 NFL draft. I uh, want to read this about Farley, uh, a summary on Farley from Dane Brugler. Overall, Farley might have some rough patches early on, and his past injuries are a strong concern, but he has outstanding physical tools with the natural instincts and ball skills to consistently stay in phase and make plays on the ball. He projects as a press man starter with Pro Bowl upside if 
healthy. Yeah, I would say definitely say that's true. And look, he's going to be rusty. I mean, he hasn't played since mid-November. The Pittsburgh game was the last football game he's played in, correct? The rain before he sat I, out the be game? Before the, yeah, yeah, so that'd be accurate. So, Bud Foster's last home, but no, the, the goal yeah. line stand game? No, 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 he's, no, no. Bud Foster's uh, the Yeah, Bud's last game, game 2019. Pouring okay, down rain yeah. in the cold. Yeah, that was his last game. The shutout. That was the, the last right? time he played in a football. Yeah, game. that was the shutout. So it was so, tw- it was twenty seventeen. Never mind. Let's so 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 the next time he plays in a football game, we'll assume it'll be a preseason game this August of twenty twenty one. That'll be twenty one months since he's played in a football game. Twenty one months between football games. Yeah. So, yeah. and he didn't you know didn't even practice this past year because he opted out. So there's going to be a certain level of rust there, especially when you move up a level. Like if there were red shirts in the NFL, they'd redshirt him, yeah. right? <laughs> um, so, but despite all this, despite all of this, I didn't see one one pundit picking him outside the first round. They're picking him to go late first round, yes. but not outside. This the first is round. this has him as a number thirty overall from Dane Brugler, right? Uh, where he'll go? Well, this has him 29th by Brugler. But hey, if he goes later right. in the first well, round, well, Brugler what? may have updated it literally may last night. He, he, yeah, so, so, for, so Farley here is projections 29, 31, 25, 24, 24, 28, 16, 23. Actually, uh, Walter Football has been going to the Jets at 23. You know what? I, uh, dear God, we need him. Brugler has him going. We need Brugler has him, according to this, this one, 29th to the Packers. To your Packers. There you and, go. Which, that would be very high-profile pick for the Packers in the first round. Normally, their first-round pick is some random dude from, like, Texas A&M Kingsville that you never heard of. Never to help Aaron Rodgers either. You know, always, you know, always not, not a skill position player. So, anyways, yeah. by the way, I want to point this out, too. Not When you hear... People talk about injury history for Caleb Farley. Yes, he's dealing with the back injury. That's the main cause for concern right now. But he did tear his ACL in 2017 when he redshirted. So back injury, torn ACL. You know, he's had a couple of major injuries yeah, in his and, career. And the, the back one is definitely the most concerning. Now he showed in 2019 that the that he his knee was fine. Yeah. He was fast and dominant post torn ACL. Yeah. Two years after that. So I don't think that that's a big issue. Well, back injuries can linger, though, man. Yeah. Like, if you hurt your back, uh, you know, uh, yes, it'll hurt. It'll, you know, his back's going to hurt later in life, I, I assume. Now, uh, you know, short term, how much it affects him, I don't know. But sometimes back injuries, they just don't, they don't necessarily leave you. Like, yep, that's you right. Know. Let's uh, transition away from the two projected first-round picks to two other players that will hear their name called at some point this week in the 2021 NFL draft. And let's start with Khalil Herbert, um, the running back who nobody ever saw play inside of Lane Stadium. <laughs> uh, the one-and-done transfer from Kansas. Um, as we look here, Pro Football Focus has him as the number 91 overall prospect, the number five running back. Here, uh, the athletic I'm looking at him is the number eight overall running back. And Herbert being someone who gets picked – um, in the fourth or the fifth round, but yes. well, so so if you're the number five offensive tackle, you're borderline first round. If you're the number five running back, you're you're way deep in the draft. Yeah, these days, yeah. man, unless you're just like a all-purpose back that can run it, catch it, and just so physically dominant, you're not going in the first round. Maybe yeah. not even in the second yeah. round. No, I think the only first round picks for running backs this year are going to be Najee Harris of Alabama and Travis Etienne of Clemson, and they're 
I mean, there's a chance they could drop. I mean, it's just you find so much production with these running backs late in the you draft. Do. I you mean, do. and their shelf life is so small. I, I go back and, and watch the the Clemson Virginia Tech game this past year, and Herbert had a great game, and you know he had almost a hundred yards in that game, and. And, you know, if the game hadn't got out of hand in the fourth quarter, if it had stayed close, he would have had he would over, have had most yeah. definitely would have had over 100 yards. And remember, he was coming off an injury, too, so who knows how 100% he was. But uh, And then ATN averaged 4.1 yards per carry against Virginia Tech. They completely shut him down. Yeah, Virginia Tech so, just did such a good job that game until it fell apart. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 love, uh, I love PFF's comments about pros, about Khalil Herbert. Uh, Low center, low center of gravity. Yeah, we know that. Big play after big play last season. Sneaky speed. I love that phrase. Very. I think the Duke Blue speed. Devils know their sneaky speed. Yeah, yeah you know, Khalil he, Herbert. He just he just gets around the corner on you. You know, and, he's and then so even when you dude. watch him on TV, he still doesn't look fast. I don't know why he just doesn't look fast. But it, took, then, it took me a few games to get used to realizing how fast he was. Yeah. At first it was like, oh, that, that'll be a two or three yard. Whoa. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he still, though, like when I look at like his mo, I don't know if it's his running motion or just his physical stature. Even when he's running, I don't think he looks fast. And I'm sitting there like, how how are those guys not catching him? It's It's – I don't know that you can say the same. I'm trying to think of a parallel. Uh, no, Shotron Stith is the most comparable yeah, running that's back. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, you remember, like, remember the Miami game when he broke off that long touchdown run in 1999? Yeah. Doesn't necessarily look fast when he's doing it. Yeah. But but nobody caught him. Yeah. Right now, Herbert's going to be a higher pick than 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 Stith was, most likely. Stith, you remember, he declared early and then didn't get picked until the seventh round. That was one of. <laughs> That was one of the big Hokey Lord. dramas of, of that yeah. draft season because Mel Kuyper said it was going to be a first-round pick. And so then he uh, he uh, declared and then didn't get picked until the seventh round or something like that. Yeah, he went early. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're very, very similar. Low, similar uh, low center of gravity, 5'9", 212. You know, that's shy. I, I, I'll never forget seeing Chiron Stith in person at the 99 spring game, and I was sitting real close and – you know, he runs up the middle on this defensive back. Perfect tackling for him. Couldn't have done it any better. Comes up and puts his shoulder right there, right into uh, right into his thighs, and Stiff just kept going because yeah. his center of gravity was so low. His, he was a bowling his, ball. His, his thighs were like tree trunks, man. Yeah. And Herbert's the same way, the exact same way. Yeah. Uh, big play after big play. That wasn't necessarily Stiff, but he had certainly had did have plenty yeah. of big plays. Uh don't call him a one-year wonder. He was dominant in 2019 before leaving Kansas. I thought his film at Kansas was great. So uh, I, I just think he was limited there by what Kansas as a team was able to do, the yeah. players around him yeah. and things like that. And, and weren't weren't his games like very inconsistent at Kansas, like 150 yards in one game and then – Well, technically he was their second-string running back. By the way, Puka. Puka – Puka Williams. Puka Williams is, is uh, I believe, in when I was looking – uh, there was a theory that Khalil Herbert left Kansas because of Puka Williams. They were playing Puka Williams instead. Herbert's ranked the number five running back, I think, and Puka's down around number nine or number ten in one one ranking. Oh, what did Kansas have that they couldn't take I advantage know, of? Man. My gosh! And how did uh, they get him? And mm. well, nobody wanted him out of high school. I guess. I mean, dude, Herbert was like the ranked the number. 2200 prospect in the whole country <laughs> nobody wanted this dude he went to kansas because he had to go to and that's kansas. not even a true ranking that's just yes. you know throw guys in a hat at that point yeah exactly which is silly but uh 
Yeah, you know, and let's see, he returned kicks. I don't. Did Stith return kicks in college? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember he, I mean, he returned one for the Jags for a touchdown. Really? One time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I think they're very, very similar players. Shyron Stith and Khalil Herbert. Um, Herbert apparently is more draftable than Stith was. Well, I think Herbert's running motion is more compact than Stith. That that might be yeah. that might be. True. I think I think two things about Herbert. A he is a redshirt senior. He oh, was he's a little old. old. Uh, and B and 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 every site that we're looking at right now, bring this up. He's only caught ten passes in his career. And you yep. look at the best running back in the NFL right now, Christian McCaffrey. That dude's almost a slot receiver. Right. As well as a running back, so right. ACN catches a ton of passes, and I'm not saying yeah. he can't, but I wonder with him and his age. Like I see, I saw somewhere he's a projected to go to the the Giants, where they've got Saquon Barkley, who's a top three running back. Is he a rotational third down I, running back? Yeah. I mean, I wonder what his role's going to. I don't think right. he's an every down back in the NFL. Yeah, but, these days an every down back is somebody you know you can play on running downs, passing downs, catch the ball, and everything like that. Now here's the thing, like. Never had more than ten catches in a season. Is that because he can't catch and can't run routes, or is it because of the teams he was playing on? See that Kansas that... less miles. Run, 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 right. run, run, run. Virginia Tech this past year. Run, 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 run. Right. So, so when they, when they did throw it to him, he was productive. And that's what the pro day is all about. The scouts show up and they they get him and they watch his hands and his cuts and, and that right. kind of stuff. To me. Like, this isn't phrased properly. Never had more than ten catches in a season. That's not necessarily a detriment if they. Threw to him ten times and he caught it ten times. So. Caught all ten no, passes no, no, that were thrown. Right, right, there's right, not right. enough film of right, him catching correct, passes. Correct, right, right. What, what, what should, like if this if it was actually a weakness in the passing game, it would say doesn't have good hands, right? But yeah, I mean, there's no. You're right. There's not enough film to prove that it's really a strength, but there's also not enough film to prove that it's a it's weakness. weakness. Yeah. yeah, and uh, one, one other thing that Dane Brugler brings up. Um, he projects best in a zone-oriented scheme. Uh, he had written down that it, it feels like he's over-reliant on outside runs with most of his plays ending up at the numbers, whether that was the design or not, which I found kind of interesting because you think about a lot of his runs, I mean, it is kind of east to west, not a lot of north-south. But I, I don't care how he picks his yards up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> hey, he 1,200 yards, yards, buddy. <laughs> All right, let's transition to one more prospect. Again, we're looking at Hokies that could be taken or will be taken at this point. The question is where in the upcoming draft this week. And the other one that is for sure going to be taken is the number seven overall safety in this class from the Athletics Nate Brugel. That's Divine Diablo, a projected third to fourth round grade. And uh, yes, Akan, he's a redshirt senior, a little bit older. But Will, I feel like... If you're an NFL general manager and you see Divine Diablo, who is one of the stronger safeties, I mean, someone who you could just put anywhere. To me, he just feels like the kind of guy that a coach would love to get their hands on. Yeah, uh, I, I keep going. I know that the Cam Chancellor comparison is out there. Um, Cam became a much better football player. And, and, you know, he was sometimes playing out of position at Virginia Tech, and, and he became a, a – he reached a very high level once he, once he made the NFL. And I think Div- Divine Diablo was was a good college player. So I wonder if he's going to 
go through the same sort of thing where he he really reaches his potential in the NFL. Cam, Cam Chancellor's best season was as a sophomore when he got to play Rover. Yeah, when they put him in free safety. safety. The last two yeah. years, he, he was good, but he wasn't quite as good. And he actually well, started at corner at, at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah as a true his, freshman year, yeah. he played corner. Everybody's like, who is this two, six, four, 220-pound corner? Remember, like his first three days, he was uh, – he was a quarterback, actually. Yeah. And remember, you and I actually went out uh, to Tots with Mike Harris. Yeah. Uh, he was covering uh, Virginia Tech for the Richmond Times. Richmond Dispatch. Times Dispatch, and he's Mike told us at, at at Tots he had gone to a practice that day, and he was like, "Man, that 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 Chancellor quarterback, whoo, that guy's good." He he and, he, he was. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he unequivocally uh, 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 said it, it was back. It was back during the whole Sean Glennon versus Ike Whitaker thing was going on, and I think Mike said something like, "Everybody thinks Ike Whitaker is going to be the next quarterback. It's not. It's going to be Cam Chancellor." <laughs> so this guy's just an impressive all around. He was an impressive yeah. all around athlete, but he finally found his right position in the NFL, which is uh, now as far as Diablo goes, he had his best season. Uh, this past year, by far, when they moved him from free safety to strong safety, and he played on the on the short right. side of the field, and I think that's where he'll play in the NFL. So, so his PFF grades. We went through Darisaw's earlier. The last three seasons, Diablo was a sixty-four point four, mm-hmm. a seventy-one point eight, and then a seventy-eight point nine. Steady improvement, and then you know a big substantial jump as a senior when he got to move to the short side yeah. uh, of the field. Uh, Let's. I, I think he'll always be sort of an enigma to me. Like uh, you go back to the Liberty game and those little Liberty slot receivers, which were the same size as me, had big days. And then the next week, you know, he just didn't. How can those guys have good games against Divine Diablo? Like they were stiff arming him and Devin Taylor. And then the very next week, the defense goes out there and physically whips Miami. Yeah. And and he was part of that, you know, getting stiff-armed by Liberty receivers and then physically dominating Miami receivers from one week to the next. Now, th- that's not necessarily just a D- divine Diablo thing because the whole defense was kind of like that. Yeah. Struggled against Liberty and then dominated And we've talked Miami. about that. We've talked, we've talked about, about buy-in, consistency right. of effort, and right. all that and, sort of stuff. And then you, uh, you fast-forward, like those hits he laid, like he, ne- he never – he never really played as big as he was, as far as physicality. Um, but I, th- I think that's in, in, I think in, it's very fair. Until the UVA game, the last game of his career, when they had that big old quarterback slash tight end slash running Keontae, back, Keontae uh, Thompson. Yeah, yeah, and he knocked him out of the game. I mean, he got he was physically dominant in that game, and I'm yeah. sitting there like. Where's this been? Why have you not been laying dudes like this out? It's your almost whole like he was holding something back. Right. It's it's really really strange. And you know, Fuente gets on the radio after after the game and does his famous radio interview uh, that everybody was talking about at the time. And uh, he said, "This is how we described Diablo." He said, "Divine is such a sweet kid. Maybe he might, and he is. He's a really really nice guy." And Sometimes you can be a really, really nice guy and you turn that nice part off on the field. I don't know if he necessarily turns a nice part off completely when he gets on the field. Well, I've, I've, told, I've told you a few times that uh, I played five years of football, uh, fifth grade through ninth grade, and my biggest flaw is that I wasn't mean enough. Right. I was too nice. You know, 
Um, one thing I want to point out, by the way, you guys talk about like the the scheme, the toughness. Real quick, uh, Pro Football Focus said this: uh, the interception he had against Trevor Lawrence was a pro mm-hmm. read in the back of the end read. zone. Yeah. And uh, this is what, out of all the Dane Brugler analysis, this is my favorite one about Diablo. He says. Overall, Diablo is physically imposing with his size, speed, and toughness, but he is a linebacker or safety tweener and won't be a fit for every base defense. He projects as a core special teamer in a box safety in a robber scheme. I, that I, is I, awfully specific. That's that's, yeah, I mean, that was really specific. A, a, a robber scheme where he can stay down low and read the quarterback and is not going to get exposed deep. He's not going to be running with a receiver down the field with his back turned to the quarterback. Yeah. I think it's a completely accurate description of it. I think you know what he's got going for him, I think he's a really, really smart guy. And he is obviously a hard worker. All you have to do is look at him. Yes, we've talked about yeah. that many times. He's yeah, built. You, yeah, yeah, and remember, Jake went to Pro Day and said that he thought Diablo at Pro Day was the one who had advanced his case I, the most. I, I think I think Diablo is one who, gosh, I could see him going as high as the late third round. He I could be also, late second. I, I, I mean, he's such. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got a pretty good upside there, and. And all it takes is one team to say, oh, God, look at that dude. What can we turn him into? Right? Get a man right, crush on right, him. Right, exactly. And But at the same time, there are the negatives that I talked about earlier, like the production in college, the physical production, like as far as tackling and hitting and just being physically dominant, never matched up to what he looked like. Yeah. And and that could slide him down the board. Like I think he could drop to like the sixth round. I think he could be – be, be a steal you know uh I, I just don't know you know i think i think diablo though is the kind of guy think about teams that are really good defensively right now who are missing a piece like think about like the 49ers and how great that defense like i could totally see him being like we've got the pass rushers linebackers here's another piece that we can use in a specific role right or a or a seattle seahawks right like Pete Carroll's the one who discovered Camp Chancellor. They've got Jamal Adams. Like anyway, I feel like he's a team that might go to a contender that's already really good on defense. Right. So, so right. It, but but it gets into this whole thing of sometimes it's better to be a free agent than be than to be picked late. If somebody just kind of, oh well, he's still there. We'll just take him. You know, without that kind of analysis that you just added to it. Sometimes it's better to pick a team as a free agent that you know will, will maximize their use yeah, of you. Sort of, uh, when you talk about that a specific role, I think about Anthony Chagag, who played for Virginia Tech in 2013 through 2016. When he was a senior in 2016, Bud Fall, he was he was a really good player, but he was 6'3", 225 pounds, not really a safety, not really a linebacker. Yeah. Uh, but Bud Foster found a very specific role for him in his 30 package, which is – you know, his advanced way of saying my dime package. We have six defensive backs on the field at one time. And Chicago would get out there and he would play kind of a shallow safety role and never turned his back to the quarterback where he was running with receivers downfield. Uh, it was kind of – it was definitely – it was kind of uh, – I don't know, it was a very, very specific role for him, and he excelled in that role yeah. as a senior. So that's something you're describing, like a contender come in and say, man, we really need somebody who can play – like a shallow safety role. Like we can take a linebacker off the field and basically replace him with a linebacker who's much, much better in coverage. And yeah, I, I could, I could certainly see that. It's got to be, but with the size of NFL rosters, it's got to be a team that, you know, yes. is ready. Yeah. Now, 
Um, and again, not that I know anything. I'm just thinking about it. He he could be really good in a specific role mm-hmm. right away. And again, if Farley were to drop, by the way, I was thinking about this too. Again, if you're dropping to a later first round pick, what does that mean? You're better going team. to a, a better team. <laughs> and uh, there's one thing that I, you know, I I'm, I love love to listen to Colin Coward, and I think he's spot on when he says this. Like 80 percent of how your NFL career goes is what team drafts you and the situation you go into. A lot of people aren't bust because the talent's not there. It's because you didn't have great coaching. You've got a GM that's fired. I mean, there's a big difference going to the Jets or going to the Patriots. Yeah, and I I actually. I hope he gets drafted high from a from a money standpoint and a notoriety standpoint, but at the same time, he's going to be so rusty that you're talking uh, about Farley, Farley, and that there, there there's going to be a lot of pressure on him as a first round pick if he goes to a team that just throws him out there as a starter from day one, and like I think he has great long term potential, but I don't think he's going to get right off the bus in the NFL and start dominating simply because he's missed so much time. Well, D'Angelo Hall didn't, yeah. uh, and uh, I, so I think if he goes to one of these teams in the later first round, it's less likely that he starts and they can slowly, gradually work him into things and let him kick off the rust. Yeah. Uh, because a first round pick, man, he's it's going to be like up. Uh, we expect it, we expect great production from this guy from day one. And you're probably you might not get it, quite frankly. And then fans are going to be all over him, like this guy's a bust, this guy's a bust. But you got to think, like, I hadn't played in two years, right? So I, I think it would be beneficial for someone in, who has a late first round pick who can work him in slowly. Don't necessarily need him to start from day one. Well, the Hokies would certainly love to have a guy like Caleb Farley back for this upcoming season. But the secondary might be a strength this year with some returners. We're going to transition away from talking about the Hokies and the NFL draft to big picture questions for the 2021 season for Virginia Tech football. We're going to step aside for a break. When we come back, we'll discuss that next. You're watching and listening to episode 178 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Welcome back into episode 178 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Truly is great to have all of you with us. Evan Hughes back with Chris Coleman and Will Stewart. Behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart. We're about to transition from talking about what Hokies could hear their name called this week for the NFL Draft to talking about big picture questions for Virginia Tech football. But before we do that, one final thought on the NFL Draft with Will Stewart. Right, so I meant to slip this in while while you know, while we were still talking about the draft, we were talking about specific players. This is this is a general comment. This is a this is a big draft for Justin Fuente and his staff because uh, um, I don't have the time to scroll down the list, but Virginia Tech had a player drafted every year from some sometime in the early nineties, ninety two, ninety three, ninety four. Yeah, I, I want to say like ninety three. Uh, that sounds right. It sort of started maybe, when, maybe when ninety four, kind of kind of when the bowl streak started. But well, Ken Brown got drafted. Uh, no, it well, no, it would have been Drakeford and Jim Pine in the ninety four draft. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so in twenty nineteen, when no Hokies were selected, that that broke a long, long string of, of Virginia Tech having draft selections every year. Mm-hmm. Twenty twenty, there was only one player selected. That was Dalton Keene, who was a Fuente recruit. Mm-hmm. You go back to 2018 when the Hokies had uh, five guys selected. They were the Edmonds brothers, Tim Settle, Wyatt Teller, 
and Greg Stroman, all Beamer recruits. Mm-hmm. So this this is a huge draft for Fuente to be able to say, these are my guys, these are guys that we recruited and, and developed. developed. Right. Now, clearly, I'm not talking about Khalil Herbert because um, he transferred in. But Darrell well, saw you, you can These days, you can make that claim. Well, that's yeah. true. They're going to. Well, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, Darasaw and Farley in particular are were recruited by Fuente's staff and developed by Fuente's staff. So this is a big draft right. for him. It is, and uh, I think the I think the the lack of players drafted in in twenty eighteen and nineteen kind of shows what a talent gulf there was in the program. Twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Twenty nineteen yeah. and twenty twenty. Like only one player drafted in those two years, and that was a Fuente recruit who left early. Yeah. Right. So. Most of Fuente's recruits, they weren't even at a draftable age at that point. So, like, those, that last Beamer recruiting class was just not... Either really, really good or... Well, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, so exactly. Yeah. There, there were a few guys in that class that were so good, you know, that, that they left early. But, uh, you know, for the most part, there wasn't much there. And, you know, we had always heard that, that Fuente told Wit like, after... The 2017 season or something like that he was like man all my guys are either redshirt freshmen or true sophomores and the guys that are older than them they just aren't any good and 2018 is going to be a long year yeah like they saw that come in in advance there wasn't anything you could do about it yeah. you just got to get through it and then you know they got they got through it and uh you know had, had a had a good year in 20 2019 now they need to have a good one in 2020 but yeah i think those two drafts really show the the, the depth of talent the transition the, 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 from one program yes, to another absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah all right we have some big picture questions about the 2021 season because the last couple of podcasts by the last month we've done position previews going in to the upcoming season for tech football now big picture questions so we've got a window of about 15 minutes mm-hmm. so i want to go kind of rapid fire a little bit because i've got about 10 of them for you guys and there's a couple already in the chat that i'll throw in there as well so big picture questions 2021 season hard to believe we're only a couple months away from the season getting underway so chris let me start with you on this again kind of rapid fire here what is the biggest question mark you have going into this season for virginia tech right now who's going to generate big plays on offense Hmm. uh khalil herbert obviously generated quite a few of them this past year um, you know, James Mitchell will, 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 will generate some, of course. I think the X's and O's of the offense itself will generate some, but essentially, you know, Alabama generates big plays not because their offensive coordinator is a genius, but because Alabama has a bunch of first-round picks, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, same thing for Clemson. So who's go- what what player or players is gonna is going to step up for Khalil Herbert? Ideally, one of them, somebody would at running back would be able to generate some, but you know the, the receivers have to do more. Yeah, um, and that's what really concerns me. So for me, one uh, B is health of the quarterback. I, I think Burmeister's got a chance to have a pretty good season if he stays healthy. One uh, A is uh, maybe a little more off the beaten path from what most people are thinking, but the kicking game. Field goals, punting, everything. You know, we we did the special teams preview, and it was short because there's nobody in the program. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but, you know, there yeah. wasn't a whole lot to talk about. So I think that's big. Okay. What is the biggest strength of this team, Will Stewart, as we record on Monday, April 26th? 
I'm going to go with, and, and I, I think I said this a couple of podcasts ago, I'm in love with that defensive line, the defensive tackles. I think the potential there is tremendous. I'll go cornerback. Uh, yeah. I think their starting talent is very, very good with Jermaine Waller and, and Dorian Strong. Uh, I think or, or I think they've, they've got two backups with a lot of starting yeah. experience. And, and I think Breon Murray, he didn't have a great year last year, but he was a guy who really never played corner before. He was always a safety type, nickelback type in, in the past. So I think he can still improve. And I think Armani Chapman's a good player. So I think their overall depth at cornerback is, is really good. All right, let's spend some time on this question here. If the Hokies are going to be a contender for the ACC title this year, this player not named Braxton Burmeister <laughs> has to be critical in the success of the team. Chris Coleman, you're up first. Uh, Trey Turner. Uh, Trey was a highly regarded recruit. Virginia Tech beat out Florida State and basically every big program in the you know, the East Coast for him. And he came in and had a really good true freshman season and has leveled off. Pretty much the same production each year. 30 catches, 30 to 35 catches. Uh we got to have more for, for, from Trey Turner. Like he's, like I, he's a solid player, but like if you put him on the 2016 team, he would be the fourth option behind Cam Phillips, Isaiah Ford, and Bucky Hodges. Right. right. So he has to raise his game this year, and he's got to get bigger and stronger, and he's got to be more productive in the pass game. He's got to g- generate more big plays in the passing game. I'm going to go on the other side of the ball, and, and I, I really can't narrow it down to one guy. I'm, I'm going to list two guys, Alan Tisdale and Dax Hollyfield. We just talked about how much we love the defensive line and the corners. You know, safety we're not sure about. But the, the middle of that defense, the part that's missing is how are the Mike and the backer going to play? What does a Virginia Tech offense successfully running through Braxton Burmeister look like? I think a lot. I think we'll continue a whole lot of the smoke and mirrors approach. And not necessarily because of Burmeister, but because of everybody else. I actually don't worry about Burmeister. I think he'll be okay. What, what, like in a vacuum, but like who's he going to be handing the ball off to and who's he going to be throwing it to? I think that's going to decide how effective Braxton Burmeister is. Um, So I think, I don't think it'll look too different than than what we've seen already. It's just, are the players there? Or is the supporting cast going to be able to make enough plays to support him? Uh, I, I think that the, the the read option game, the running game that involves the quarterback, I could, I think it's going to be outstanding. I think his decision making is very good. Um, I think the passing game will be more of a controlled passing game, unless they pull tricks to, you know, sometimes you see James Mitchell running down the field wide open, you know, and that 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 scheme and matchups. Uh, so I, I I like the the running game that involves the quarterback. I like the short passing game. I don't know that you're going to see much of a deep passing game. Maybe if Payute gets healthy, maybe. But even then, can Burmeister, you know, hit him downfield? So, speaking of Payute, this could be an answer to the next question. Mm-hmm. This Virginia Tech player did not play in 2020 or didn't have the best season in 2020, but will have a great 2021 campaign. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's very tempting to say pay you, but at the same time, I, I don't want to put any pr- a pressure on a redshirt freshman who has spent much of the last two years hurt, hurt, hasn't gotten much chance to practice and everything like that. I think he's got big-time talent. Like, he's got Caleb Farley-level 
wide receiver, long-term ceiling talent, but he's still very, very early in his career and hasn't been able to practice very much. It's very tempting to say him. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to think if there's somebody who maybe didn't have a great 2020 season. Jermaine Waller. That's a good, yeah. Yep. yeah Waller's my answer, yeah. Um, transitioning, let's see here. I just had a thought and then lost it real quick. Okay. Um, we will know how good the Virginia Tech Hokies are by this point in the season. Uh, you would have to look at the schedule. I, I would just say I'm going to say West Virginia game. Um, I think, you know, this staff has a history of their teams play very, very, very well that first week, the first big game of the season, either in week one or week two, uh, where it's all about prepar- like preparation in the offseason and X's and O's and not necessarily about – you know, players because scouting reports aren't out. Like Virginia Tech went out to FedEx Field and beat a pretty good West Virginia team with a bunch of freshmen on offense, right? And I don't—they wouldn't have beat West Virginia a month later, uh, in my opinion. But West Virginia just—they couldn't—they had—they didn't have Josh Jackson scouted, they didn't have Dalton Keene scouted, or any of those freshmen. So uh, Tech won the game. So I, I wouldn't shock me if Tech went out and beat UNC in Week One, just simply because Tech is always so well prepared for that first big game. Now the counterpoint to that is UNC plays Tech every year, so they already know Tech's personnel, right. so maybe not. But let's say you know Tech does go out and play well against UNC and wins. You get to that West Virginia game, and at that point more film is out. I guess three games worth of film at that point is out probably. How do they play against West Virginia when more information about Tech's personnel is known? Can they get over that hump? I, so I think we'll know how good the team is after the West Virginia game. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I would almost say, almost, almost say disregard what happens in that North Carolina game. If Virginia Tech wins it, uh, could be fool's gold. It, it's possible. You but, know, um, do, that doesn't mean don't enjoy it. Win over UNC is enjoyable, but but it might not say a whole lot about the rest of the season. I'm 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 going to go even further than that. So UNC, Middle Tennessee at WVU, yeah, so Richmond, hard, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh. I, I know it's deep in the season, but I'm going to have a feel for this team after the Pittsburgh game. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I wish the West – well, excuse me, I'm glad the West Virginia game is the third game rather than the fourth game. And why is that? Oh, uh, I mean, a four, if they were the fourth game, it would be three games worth of film right, instead so of just you be want two. Less. And who's the second game? Uh, Middle Tennessee. Yeah, so hopefully Tech can get through that one without, you know sh- – playing their hands I don't, I don't know i say that but but like six of their first seven games are at home you know and then you go on the road yeah and, yeah. yeah you know sometimes you think you know something about a team and then it turns out you don't we thought we knew something about virginia tech when duke came in and smashed him on the thursday night right, or that yeah. friday night game 45 to 10 clearly we didn't well that's that's a you know that's a frontier fuente's got to clear right, is right. getting more consistent effort week in week out correct speaking of coach fuente well how many games must Coach Justin Fuente win to win back the majority of the fan base in 2021? Uh, depending upon the majority, huh. nine. <laughs> and and again, this is me just commenting on the fan base reaction. So one of the things that came out of the Reach for Excellence campaign is that they are outlining how much more support Fuente is going to get from the university and the athletic department. And that puts more pressure on him. 
And we know that this money that's getting allocated is something that will increase over time and the benefits will increase over time. The Twitterati won't care. They're okay. going they're, Twitterati. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's hilarious. Well, I, I use that all the time. I've never heard that before. <laughs> really? that's, you should trademark. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> the, uh, I'm sorry. So, so the, the Twitterati. No, the, the Twitterati, if it's less than nine, and it depends on what the nine looks like. Yeah. You know, but anything that, that becomes eight, seven or six wins, there's just too much fodder there. So, yeah. And, you know, the real interesting thing is by you the thing about the reach for excellence campaign. So geared towards football, there was basically a, you know, an hour press conference and Q&A session where Virginia Tech basically said, we haven't been supporting football properly. We haven't given Justin Fuente the resources that other that his competition is giving their head coaches. So when you admit that, you say, the product on the field this year is going to be the culmination of five years of below average support. But then if he doesn't win a certain amount of games, you fire him. Even after you say, "Oh, we didn't properly support him," so the, this this is a kind of it's kind of a paradox, right? So what do you do? Is, my yeah. answer is, I have I don't know. To, to me, it's <laughs> well. To remember, me it's, the question was, "Win what, back the majority of the fan of base. the fans." You know, generally, when a fans turn when fans the majority of a fan base turns on a head coach, I mean, to be on speak honestly and openly about it, generally they never come. They back. don't come back. They don't come back. Yeah. The, the, um, that they lock on to what they believe, whether it's correct or incorrect, right. and 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 that that's that's their story from from now on. Some and sometimes it turns out to be true, and sometimes it's sort of a false narrative. But we'll see. I, but I I, I I would agree with it that nine is 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 the answer, and and that's a different question than how many games does he have to win to keep his job? Right. Right. Um. Okay. Two more. What freshman are you most excited to watch this year besides Jaden Payute? Because I think everybody's going there. Everyone's excited to see him. Give me a freshman, red shirt or true, most excited to see this year. Boy. Wish that, I had that will not be red shirting, sadly, for Chris Coleman. You think we'll be playing? <laughs> It'll be playing. Uh, man, I, if I thought with 100% certainty that DJ Harvey would be playing, assuming he's going to be playing corner, I think it'd be hard, it's going to be hard to break into that top four this year. Um. Besides Jaden Payne, I, I'm going to assume that Jalen Jones is going to play wide receiver, and I, I think I'll be pretty excited to to see him. Um, Robert Wooten will, will still technically be, you know, he'll be yeah. a true freshman again, true this year. And Wooten is a guy who I thought, you know, breaking into the playing rotation last year was impressive, considering he spent most of August camp quarantine with all the other true freshmen and didn't even didn't know the system. So he had no idea what to do when he got on the field. I thought considering all that, he was pretty good spring practice under his belt. No COVID hopefully during fall camp, you know, he should be ready to take a step forward. I just, I just pulled up the list while Chris was talking of the uh, 2021 signees and, and I got nothing. I don't, I don't know. uh, I don't want to say that anybody Parker Clements. Yeah. Parker Clements is who's from the year before, correct? I mean, he was a true freshman this past year. Yeah, yeah, yeah twenty twenty class. That's a, that's a good one uh, because he's a guy. He's a guy who's sort of being. I've heard as much positive things about him through his first year on campus as I did about Luke Tenuta right. his first year on campus. Okay. Final question, fun one: Will there be couches burned in Morgantown? 
this year. I've, for I've always Studio. said that when I retire to get some pocket money, I'm going to open a used furniture store. No, no, wait a minute. Are they are they happy in their burning couches or they're mad? Yeah, they're going to burn. So I them listen. Out. I don't as a uh, as a young hokey. Like I don't remember. I've heard stories. I, I think, so let me I ask think you. they've. Oh God, it's just dumpsters on fire, couches on fire, like. That's what they do after a big game, and or that's what they used to do after a big game in Morgantown, win or lose, just set stuff on fire. Uh, I think couches will burn. This is the first time in 16 years they'll be in Morgantown, yeah. playing in Morgantown. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Like I think West Virginia's out-of-state students are going to be like, what's the big deal? Yeah. It's just yeah. Some, team, some team from another state. The in-state students that go to West Virginia, especially if they're like parents went to WVU, right. they'll know. Yeah. I don't think your average Virginia Tech student understands what I hardly the history have any, of the rivalry. Yeah, yeah that's true. There is, you know, the last time they they played in 2017, they played in Morgantown in 2005, and that that was the whole Marcus Vick thing, right? You know, and and hmm. it's 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 interesting though that like these days teams, it's just the majority of players are from out of state. Yeah. So how much are Virginia Tech players, and conversely, how much are West Virginia players? It's not going to be like a old school Tech West Virginia game. I'll put it. That That's way. basically my question. I was getting to. Yeah, but we're yeah, all everybody on both sides, on both sides, completely grasp the history of it. N- number one, those teams were playing every year back then, so it all was all built up. It got passed down yeah. from one class to another, and now so many guys come from out of state, and the teams never hardly ever play anymore. Right. That I, I just I don't think you'll see any of that this year. Probably see some from Doug Nestor. I think he understands it. Unfortunately, that's right. So, Doug Nestor. Will, oh, yeah, that's going to crush Chris Coleman. This folks. guy, no. It's good. It's 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 September twenty fourth, twenty twenty two is going to be interesting. That's when West Virginia comes to Blacksburg. Mm. Um, hmm. Well, anyways, that'll be fun to look at. All right, real quick, uh, I, I just want to mention this before we get to um, the questions that we have. First off, uh, if you're watching, we have 25 likes right now. Or if you're listening or watching Archive, too, I mean, please, like and subscribe and comment, please. Uh, let's see if we can get that number up. Great questions in the chat. We're going to get to those in just a moment. But last week, uh, you guys did a tremendous job of covering the Reach for Excellence campaign initiative that Virginia Tech Athletics is rolling out. Uh, episode 177, Will hosted with Charlie Flieger and Brad Worthman. It is such a great podcast. So I just want to take a quick moment real quick. Um, Will, it's been about a week since it's been announced. You did the podcast with Charlie and Brad. A week removed, what are your thoughts about the Reach for Excellence campaign takeaways from the podcast and why should Hokie fans go listen to that podcast if they haven't already? Uh, first of all, I'm going to put all of this into a, into a Monday Thoughts article, the rare off-season Monday Thoughts article that I'm writing, most of which I wrote last night. Um, so, you know, your question is now that it's had time to settle it a little bit, what do you think? Um, and uh, it, it, it actually occurred in an email exchange that Charlie Flieger and I had afterwards, we were doing the whole exchanging thank yous thing. And he, uh, he, he said that he perceives this, he wrote that he perceives this as a, as a turning point in Virginia tech athletics to uh, avert Virginia tech athletics from mediocrity. Um, and so the, the big takeaway is that there, and Charlie actually said this on the podcast, there is an alignment occurring between, is an alignment occurring between university leadership from the president 
to the Board of Visitors, to the financial people, down into the athletic department that recognizes the importance of athletics and specifically financially supporting athletics. And one of the things I'm going to write in my article, I don't remember exactly how I phrase it is, and people at Tech may not agree with this, but this is my perception on the outside looking in, that when it came to athletic fundraising, the Hokie Club was on its own in the past. And that is not true anymore. So when they talk, Evan, when they talk about going from raising 30 to 33 million a year to raising 50 to 53 million a year, it's easy to just say, oh, we're going to do this. But the reason they're confident they can do it is they have alignment from the top on down. University development is working through the Hokie Club as opposed to the Hokie Club being over here. And Charlie Flieger's a rock star. He's very good at what he does. He knows what he's looking Came at. Came here from an Ivy League school. And and as I said at the beginning of the podcast, could he be making two, three, or four times somewhere else what he's he making here. Absolutely. He's here because he cares and he wants to make it work. And he's put a lot of time in on on breaking down barriers and getting rid of the mistrust and getting everybody pointed in the same direction. Now, I want to be clear, and I'll, this will be the last point I make in my article. Does that mean Virginia Tech is going to be an annual top 10 football program and, and making the CFP every year? That's not what I'm saying. Virginia Tech is better poised to operate at maximum efficiency and be the best it can be. That's my big takeaway from it. Uh, yeah, I think it be everybody being on the same page between academics and athletics is huge. Um I think he w- he would never claim credit for this, but I think Paul Torgerson saved the football program in 2000. Yeah. And I think Tim Sands might have just saved the football program. He might have done the same thing. So for all the flack Tim Sands gets sometimes, I think in 10, 20 years we might look back and say, man, that guy really, really did us a favor there. Yeah, and and the, all the work is being done by Charlie and all the heavy-duty work. Mm-hmm. But Tim could have stood in the way of it. He could have said, I, he, I could have, "He could have said no." Yeah. He could have could have said no, and he didn't. And he didn't. And he was very supportive. Um, so I, I think that's one point I want to make that I actually hadn't thought about till till right now. To me, the whole announcement was kind of a. It's the closing of a chapter that that is that has been in the process of being written since last January when Fuente flirted with Baylor, and uh, January twenty twenty. January twenty twenty. Yeah, so you're talking 15 months. Yeah, and I, to me, it was it was really hard to focus on the 2020 season for a lot of reasons. Number one, because of I, we were mentally worn out by the start of football season just from spending the whole summer worrying that whether there would be a football season. But number two, I'm very much a long-term thinking guy. Uh, you have to be like when you sit in an office all day and that's your full-time job. I mean, you can't focus on one game or one season or one play or everything like that. I mean, you have to always be thinking long term. And and to me, what was done last week, you know, it's a long term play that really needed to happen. Uh, the 2020 football season is just a, just a blip on the radar in the long term. Whether we had gone ten and zero or, or well, no. Whether we'd gone eleven and zero or five and six or whatever, whatever. Uh, it it wouldn't have changed anything from a long term perspective, is what I mean. Right. Um, it doesn't matter who the football coach is. You, you know, do, doesn't matter. 
I mean, because the next head coach, even if whenever Fuente is gone for whatever reason, the next coach is going to come would come in and demand the same things that you know Justin Fuente has now asked for since since uh, flirting with Baylor. So to me, it's the public acknowledgement of everything I wrote last January when he went to when he almost went to Baylor. Shot across it the bow. It, it took fifteen months, but it was basically the Virginia Tech administration coming out and saying everything that I wrote last January. So. It's a little bit of personal vindication to me to a certain extent. but So one of the things that I say in my article is that, you know, we have observed and documented and commented on the decline of this football program for a decade now. Mm-hmm. From, from that 2011 season, it started in 2011. <clears throat> and there are a number of factors that go into it. The, the, the rise of the Big Ten and SEC networks, the 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 building of facilities by other programs, the the Nick Saban staffing model. You know, we, we've gradually, we being me and you and Virginia Tech fans, have been gradually realizing all of this stuff and how Virginia Tech was falling behind. And, and finally, this stuff has all been addressed. I feel like it's bottomed out and things are starting to turn in the other direction. It took, and honestly, the, the three most important positions uh, – of university president, athletic director, and head football coach. There was a time, basically, where where Charles Steger, Jim Weaver, and Frank Beamer were all approaching seventy years old, and they were still, still working. And Weaver had Parkinson's disease, so he wasn't one hundred percent effective the last few years of his career. Uh, Steger was under pressure from the lawsuit over two thousand seven. Uh, over two thousand seven, from what we understand. Probably would have retired sooner, but if he had done that, he, he would have lost his university protection, legal, legal protection from the lawsuit. Yes. yes, so he stayed working longer than he wanted to. So combine that with, with Frank Beamer, who who you know was past his prime at that point. So your three key figures, it was all very much of guys just it was kind of limping to the finish line, right? Yeah. And they weren't thinking big picture. And we basically spent the better part of a decade like that. And this is where we are as a result. We, we're not here because, you know, Justin Fuente's offensive coordinator is Brad Cornelson. You know, and that, he's a terrible play caller. Right, yeah, yeah. That's that, not that, the that's, problem. This has been stemming for a decade. <laughs> Evan is laughing. So, 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 I'm thinking of the word Twitter. Uh, Twitter Otzi. Twitter, 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 so, Twitter like, so to me, it's almost like, yeah, like I said, it's the end of a chapter in a book. It's all, That press conference and the subsequent coverage was – and even this podcast today, it's almost like a season finale. And now everybody takes some time off and comes back after the summer and a new chapter gets started. But so to me, man, it's all about looking ahead. Yes, there have been mistakes in the past. And I think it's important to acknowledge those mistakes from a historical perspective. But there's no reason to like harp on them and complain right. about them anymore. And here's an example of what he just talked about. So there's the, there's this debate of did the program fall behind because – um, Virginia Tech's leadership and Whit Babcock and, w- was clueless about what it took to win at football. Um, was Justin Fuente clueless and didn't know? Or did Fuente know the whole time and Whit wasn't giving him the resources he needed? Or was Whit saying, Justin, whatever you need, let me know. And Justin wasn't saying anything. I don't care anymore. You know, uh, I just like, don't oh, care. Did Frank Beamer fire his assistants after 92 or did uh, Dave Brain make it? Did Dave Brain make him? Uh, that, that argument has been hashed out for 30 years now. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's not a definite answer to it. So, But ultimately, who cares? 
He did. And he, whatever problem there was, they figured out and moved on. And we won a lot of football games. So at this point, it's just, it's time to look forward. Yeah. All right. I have two more questions. I want to ask one for each quickly, Uh, Chris, 60 seconds. I I think that for any person watching this, you need to go to techsideline.com. You need to read two things. Will's Monday thoughts article. That's going to come out later today. And Chris's article from last week titled, The Virginia Tech Fan Base Has a Decision to Make. People in the comments, Chris, some are saying it was one of the most impactful articles you've ever written. Well, I've, I've and, basically and, spent the last 15 months writing it in my head. So let me ask you this. In 60 seconds, <laughs> explain <laughs> what you wrote about in this uh, article and, uh, and what you're asking. Kind of what I just said. What we just S- said. Stop, stop looking back and move forward. Yeah. Or uh, and, and get involved with donating. In some get ways. involved with donating because there. This is basically head coaches come and go, players come and go, athletic directors come and go. They're all temporary. Some last longer than others, but they're all temporary. But the fan base remains. The fan base is the most important thing to the long term health of a football program. So in effect, this is a competition between Clemson fans and UNC fans and Virginia Tech fans. And Florida State fans. And, I'll throw them and in And to there. this point, Virginia Tech fans, and I'm issuing, this is a bit of a challenge here. It's not meant to be rude or disrespectful, but for two decades, all I heard is, oh, Hokie Nation's the best because we jumped in our Sandman and we're loud on Saturdays. These days, what makes you the best fan base is, is whether you can keep up with other fan bases from a fundraising standpoint. So that's the challenge. Um, do you want to be a big-time big time football program or do you not? And we're going to find out the answer over the course of the next five years. If Virginia Tech can, if their fans want to be like Clemson fans. Um, you know, Dabo Swinney was a good football coach, but in his third year he went six and seven, just like Justin Fuente. And as, as they really got their fund, fundraising efforts rolling, and now they can pay coordinators God knows what. <laughs> or start a softball program and be great in their From first year. Scratch. And, you know, it's just uh, how good do you want to be? Nah. And I, it, right now it's the, the athletic administration. They've presented the vision. They've told you the obstacles. They've told you the goals and asked you for help. And do you – and I'll close it like I closed the article. Like, uh, are you going to help or – or you, or you know, in the end, are you not going to help? And and when things don't work, you just deflect the blame to the people who need your help to succeed. Yeah, um, that's what it's all about. Again, that's on tech sideline right now. Final thought on this, Will. I'm curious because um, you're on the message boards a lot. You're on Twitter and the Twitter Aussie. Mm-hmm. Um, a week to digest it all. What do you think the reaction was amongst the fans to the announcement, the way it was rolled out, the podcast, like overall thoughts on how the fan base perceived it? I thought it was surprisingly positive. Um, I, I expected a, a, you know, there there was an element that said, I don't care what you're doing, Fuente's still your head coach, hashtag fire Fuente. Right. There was a little bit of that, but really not much. Not as uh, much as I thought. My bigger concern is like how many people have checked out and actually haven't even read anything about it right now. Well, that's entirely possible. Too. Some people check out in the off season and like we see it on our site. It's like we do monthly subscriptions and as soon as either football or basketball season is over, they stop their subscription and then they start it again in August and they don't pay any attention to Virginia Tech things in the off season at all. Yeah, so, so when they so, come back in August and they see people talking about that on the boards, they're going to be like, what happened? What's that? 
right? Yeah, so it's, it's going to be an ongoing process. It's going to be an yeah, ongoing yeah. educational process. But I, I thought, as I said repeatedly, of course, a lot of the attention went to uh, the Castle Coliseum renovation because those were the snazzy drawings that, that got produced. And and there's just, there's a lot of, the, the the number 400 million is big, but there are a lot of subtleties to what they're trying to do. It's to, it's not an extra 400 million on what top. On it's what, 400 million instead of 250 million, which correct. is what would ordinarily be raised. It was what you would ordinarily raise in that time frame. So basically, after all the extra donations come in, uh, all the financial restructuring, if they can get in-state scholarship or in-state or excuse me, out-of-state scholarships to count as in-state scholarships, you're talking an extra 25 to $35 million a year. A year. In operating on, on, budget for the athletic department. Yeah, and, on, on $100 million and operation. a substantial amount of which will be invested into the football. Yes. All right, let's transition into some great YouTube questions that we have. Again, if you're watching, we appreciate you doing so. Live or archive, please give us a like and a subscribe. And let's start with a question from Billy Parvinum. Could you guys put Sean Glennon's career into perspective? Obviously not as talented as Vic or Tyrod, but he has been but he has to be up there as among the most successful Virginia Tech quarterbacks with two ACC championships, right? With a question mark. I'm a little bit biased. You know, when we had our TSL beer event in Northern Virginia a couple years ago, out of the former players who got invited, Sean Glennon was the only one that shows up. Yeah. And we've always had a great relationship with Sean. Uh Sean, you know, sometimes maybe his pocket awareness was he was a little bit slow reacting, but he also had a wretched pass blocking offensive line in front of him, quite frankly. Uh I think if he played behind a Vance Vice coached offensive line, <clears throat> like I, I, I think Sean Glennon could seriously do some damage in the passing game. He did plenty of damage in the pass game when he had good receivers. Didn't have a great senior year because all his receivers were freshmen, but that's the year Tyrod's numbers dropped off too. Right. And he had more turnovers than, than touchdowns as, as a sophomore. So, you know, I, I think I think Glennon was a talent, talented player who could really push the ball down the field. Uh, <clears throat> I think he's one of those guys who, if he had played in a different era with – a different offensive line. Different well, if, offensive if he had been, been a mid '90s Virginia Tech quarterback, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, one thing's that uh, you'd have to you'd have to look up the exact size, but you know, Sean Glenn is basically as big as Jim Druckenmiller. A little bigger. Druckenmiller was listed at six three, six four, two twenty one, and Glennon was like six four, two twenty seven, two thirty yeah, something. I mean, yeah. Sean was a big guy. Um, uh, I always thought that Sean was just a just a his timing was bad. He's, no, he was uh, well, you bad could, fit for it's a VT little at like it's a little bit. You could say the same for Druckenmiller. Like Druckenmiller's senior year, he didn't have the receivers. Like if you put either one of those guys. If if you take the 2005 through 2007 receivers, the Eddie Royals, the Josh Morgans, and Justin Harpers, and that group. And you combine it with the '96 offensive line, yeah. right? You put either one of those quarterbacks out there with that yeah. offense, and it's, you're not going to be able to stop it. Yeah. So, so I mean, Sean's brother Mike uh, went to NC State, wound up having a good career at NC State, and I think he's still in the NFL. Still in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if Sean, if that could have been Sean's career path if he'd gone somewhere different. The, the thing, the thing about. I think I'll always hate about the Glennon era is like his mom stopped going to games because she couldn't take she couldn't stand the the verbal abuse that Sean took. Yeah, yeah. And I, I uh, nobody was abusing her. Sean right, was taking the abuse. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I, I like I said, I'm I'm a big Sean Glennon fan for yeah. for a lot of reasons. I I, just, I I think the the timing was poor for him to have 
to achieve a ceiling at Virginia Tech. Yep. All right, a couple other questions. Uh, Katie Anderson, or Katie Anderson, excuse me. Who do you think takes a big step forward in the ACC this year in football? In football. You know, I think everybody would say North Carolina, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> that, so they who, la- who, they so lost. A, people talk about Virginia Tech's lost production on offense. And I, and I, and I know UNC's got a great quarterback coming back. But how are they going to replace those two running backs? They had two Khalil Herberts. And Diami Brown and Daz yeah, Newsom are yeah, gone. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, I mean, so they got a great quarterback coming back, but you can't tell me that the replacements are going to be as good. If they are, I'll be mighty impressed. I don't know that anybody is to answer the question. Uh, did Kenny Pickett come back or is he gone? He's gone. He's gone, so they're going to take a step back, I think. Uh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Miami's quarterback, he's gone. Uh, no, Derek King's coming he's back, coming but he's back. coming off that injury. Remember, That's right, That's right at the very end of the season. You know, I, I would say maybe Miami, but it's Miami. How can you actually pick them to do they'll something? Be, they'll be like bothered that? by oh, I'm sorry, Kenny Pickett is returning. He is returning. in 2021. Mm. So, all right, so he can throw the ball around. So mm. they, need, they, they, if they, here's the sad part about Pickett, like. They used to be able to run the ball really, really, really well, and then they, and now they and then they had a big drop off in, in running back and offensive line talent. And now that he's an experienced player and a good player, now they can't run the ball. Yeah. So it's really hard for any program to be consistently good at all spots. But like, if they get their running game back to Pitt standards, then maybe maybe Pitt. Okay, there you go, um, Richie. Kind of wish. We uh, kind of wishing we played an Atlantic team first game if we had to yeah. open up with a conference game, preferably someone we don't play every year. Yep. Good comment. Um, I agree. Ronnie Adams, not sure uh, how much y'all have studied the mock drafts. What team do you hope or think Darisol and Farley go to? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really don't watch much NFL anymore. So I don't know if I have a hope. I will go, like I said earlier about, Farley, I I do kind of hope he goes later to a place where he doesn't have to start and can be developed and yeah. slowly, slowly, uh, kind of got gotten back into the groove, so to speak, because he's got to be rusty. I hope it's not he doesn't go somewhere where they throw him into the fire as a full time starter right yeah. away, and he's rusty and doesn't play well, and the fan base gets on him, and the pressure builds up because he was a first round pick, et cetera, et cetera. Well, so like I said, a couple of these drafts have. Uh, Darisaw going to Washington, and and I, I'm not. I mean, I'm a Dolphins fan, not a, not a Washington fan, but I, I know that there are a lot of Washington fans among Hokie fans, and, and, and you know why not? And he's from Upper Marlboro. Bleh, I can't talk. Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Yeah, yeah. so that be so. so he, yeah, so that, try saying that. Uh, <laughs> I think it'd be a hometown team for him, and, and I don't know if he's a Redskins. Redskins. There I go. <laughs> I don't know if he's a Washington football team fan or not, but. Uh, Probably, you know, I think it, it, Although even, he, even if it was not, it would be cool for him to play close yeah. to where his family can come see him play and everything yeah. like that. So, so I don't know if this is what he wants, but from the outside looking in, I think that that would be great if he could play for them. I think uh, so. The athletic Darisaw going seventeenth to the the Raiders in Vegas. Uh, Caleb Farley of the Packers at 29. Divine Diablo, 72 overall. The Lions <laughs> and Cleo Herbert, 196 to the Giants. Los Angeles. Uh, Los Angeles. Um, Las Vegas is not something a 21-year-old who just came into obscene amounts of money for the first time in his life should spend his rookie season. Not a good idea. No. <laughs> um, I, I think that uh, Washington would be a, a good spot 
for Darisaw. Uh, offensive line-wise, I believe they're bringing back Riley Reef. They've got a decent O-line. You know, he probably will have a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback within year one or year two of his career, so they start young. Um, Farley to the Packers would be interesting. That would be an interesting – Well, the, that um, the, you know, the Packers are – you know, they've got a – yes, they have a cornerback need or – sure, I mean, who doesn't, I guess. But that's a team where he wouldn't be thrown in to the fire immediately unless he comes in and just completely dominates, in which case – Everything I said was invalidated, right? Yeah. You also said hope. I'll, I'll be honest with you. If Farley slides to the 20s, Jets are taking him at 23. I'll just be honest because I think Sertan's off the board, Horn's off the board, dire need of cornerbacks. And so hopefully next Monday or whenever we do our next podcast, so, I'll come so on. So you would be so, so, as, so as a Jets fan, you know, there, there are special days of the year. I mean, you, you seem <laughs> no, like, there's not. That's the thing. There's yeah, not. No, you seem like a Christmassy guy to me. So you probably like Christmas, right? I like Christmas. Oh, Thanksgiving like, is my favorite holiday. Okay, okay. So. Thanksgiving, Christmas, NFL draft day. NFL draft day. I sat in my dorm. Not that anybody cares, but I'll say this and we'll move on. I sat in my dorm 2018 draft, right? And Jets get Sam Darnold. I'm oh. screaming. I mean, I ordered his jersey the next we're time. Back. Like, we're we're set for the next 10 to 15 years. And here I am. <laughs> three years later, folks, I still will not have my diploma from Virginia Tech yet. And the Jets are drafting a quarterback at number two. So and anyways, God, man, just that picture you sent this past season was hilarious when the Jets were winning a game and the picture of the of watching the Jets game when the Jets are winning and the guys weren't already wearing a Trevor Lawrence Jets jersey and he's just like oh, I, uh, we're winning I was uh, <laughs> I was crushed when the Jets lost out of the number one pick yeah. just absolutely crushed so anyways we would have found a way to ruin Lawrence anyway so um okay uh, a couple other questions uh let's see Richie Jalen Stroman potentially getting on the field in 2021. Fuente said he's the most advanced of the of the rookie DBs, and he's a January enrollee, right? He's yeah, in, so he's he never got a senior season. Yeah, that's remember good point. so, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. And so, I'm I'm glad he enrolled early instead of playing that senior season. I think some guys reach a certain point of their development where they have to step up a level of competition before they can continue their development. So apparently he's at that stage. So I don't think sitting around, if he's already the most advanced freshman defensive back at Virginia Tech, then he wouldn't have gotten any better sitting around playing six games in a spring season in Virginia that maybe some players care about and some don't. So I'm glad he's here. So, yeah, he's physically going to be able to play. This year, certainly special teams. So yeah, he'd he'd be one of my picks to uh, to play early. And it's interesting. He he's part of a group of four defensive backs that enrolled in January: uh, Nike Johnson, Jalen Stroman, Jalen Hoyle, and Deshaun Elder. And they all got every every single one of those other guys got to play this year. Right. Yeah. All right. Couple of rapid fire, quick ones. Richard Farley. Do we plan on being fully staffed this year, or is it more of a long term goal? I think it's building up as you go along. Yeah. I think, right. Yeah. Some of it's going to com- depend on like. Who's available? Like, uh, and and you're not gonna hire a, a guy just for the sake of hiring somebody. Um, but if if you find if you think a position is important and you think this is a guy who fits this need that we have, then yeah, I think they're 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 fully committed to to doing that right now as well, soon as possible. The other thing that may gum up the works is that uh, you know the money that's coming in at this point, you have to prioritize it. Do you want to use it to Keep the assistant coaches that you're you're like. What if somebody makes a run at Vice at Vance Vice? Right. 
you may wind up spending money to keep Vance Vice as opposed to hiring more recruiting people. Uh, so. Fuente was asked about this in the Q&A okay. part. Uh, he said, uh, I forget who asked, probably David Teal. He would ask a question like this, like of the five points for the football program, like what are you going to do first? Yeah. Does one take priority over the others? And Fuente said, no, they're all kind of equal. Yeah. So if you bring in a hundred thousand dollar donation, then you split it up. Right. Maybe between all that. So there's not necessarily one of those five factors right. that, uh, that that is more important than the other in their eyes. But still, events may dictate. But, but events may dictate and who's available. And if somebody makes a run at Vance Vice, that obviously <laughs> that, yeah. that's pretty important to keep him, I think. So. All right. Nate asks a loaded question that would be really good that we're going to have to somehow condense very quickly. Oh, we man. got two left. Looks like Florida State has two five-star recruits. VT never got recruits like that, even after Fuente's good start in 2016. Both Fu and Norvell came from Memphis. Any thoughts on why Florida State can land those oh, recruits? Oh, yes, and I can't say I'm on air because cha-ching, I get sued cha-ching, for libel. Cha-ching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, trust me, I've heard plenty of stories from from about Florida State recruiting, even some from like tech players who had friends at Florida State and who were recruited by Florida State. Cha-ching. So... Cha-ching. Look, and that's never going to – it doesn't matter who our head coach is. Virginia Tech Cha-ching. is always going to recruit worse on paper than Florida State. Mm. So <laughs> if your expectation is to if, – if we woke up tomorrow and Virginia Tech started re- recruiting as well as Florida State, then I'd know why. Cha-ching. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, last one from Kate. Uh, when would we see these extra assistants hired? Ideal job for Bud. You know, okay, so I actually had a conversation with Bud about this probably a couple of months ago where I said something. I don't remember what prefaced it, but I basically said, uh, people are asking me all the time uh, if you'd be interested in being a defensive analyst. And I'm like, no, you're enjoying retirement. And Bud looked at me and said, well, they haven't asked me. But he did. Then he went on to say, if he were to come back in some sort of capacity like that, it would be with certain stipulations. Um, no 12-hour days, not working all weekends. It would have to be on Bud's term, right. terms. So, um, and, and, it, and it may be that, uh, the, that, that everybody involved decides they really don't want Bud circulating over there. It's, it's, it's tricky. It's, um, it's delicate. It's, it's tough to coach in the shadow of a, last, uh, of, of a legend, especially when that legend is – right there next to you all day right yeah, the shadow yeah. looms even larger to a certain extent so yeah. uh but he is like he's helping out now what is he doing now he's doing something over he's there, basically right? doing fundraising type stuff he's yeah. doing he, he was on one of the zoom calls with former players right right so he's uh, basically he's an ambassador for virginia tech right now that's that's kind of the job title and he, that's pretty much what he's doing yeah yeah it does have in his uh, as i pull up his uh, twitter real quick in his bio it says uh, special assistant to the athletics director. Yeah, there, there you go. And the, the other part of that question was, uh, when would we see these extra assistants hired? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think anytime now for 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 support staff, you know, anytime between now and the start of the season, you, you know, you could see some. Uh, the obviously regular assistants, it's too late if you wanted to replace any of those. And I'm, and 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 let's let's be clear with the Virginia Tech fan base, you're not necessarily going to hear a bunch of announcements. You know, this this a lot of these staff are hired and they go to work, and you don't hear about you it. don't hear about it. Uh, I, I I do want to make one further comment. You know, everybody 
Cornell, I'll use Cornelson as an example, not because I will want to get the guy fired or anything like that, but it's because he's always the hot topic because he's an offensive Because he's an offensive quarter. Right. Uh, everybody wanted, not everybody, but a lot of people wanted Fuente to replace Cornelson this past year. Cornelson makes, what, like 450000 a year or something, something like, like that. that. There's no way you go on the open market with $450,000 and definitely upgrade. In fact, your chances of finding an offensive coordinator as good as Brad Cornelson for $450,000 on the open market is very low. Yeah. So if you play the percentages, if you're Justin Fuente, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense because for $450,000, you'll probably just end up getting worse. So what this does is if you're a coach that you felt safe before because you knew Virginia Tech, quite frankly, didn't have the monetary resources to find somebody better than you. Well, that does is, you know, kicks you in the butt to a certain extent. You say, oh, man, my, my position group's got to have a really good year this year. Otherwise, now Virginia Tech's actually going to have the money to fire me an upgrade, right? Uh, so I do I do think it it maybe indirectly fires a shot across the bow for 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 some guys. I'm not naming any names or anything like that, and I'm not even really talking about Cornelson. I was just using him as an example because offensive coordinator is, is yeah. everybody's favorite topic. Great questions today. Really appreciate everybody. By the way, especially shout out Kate. She was with us. She welcomed us in like right as we went live and here Been there the, the whole time. So, huh? uh, so nearly a two hour podcast, but as Chris kind of said, kind of like a a season finale. Season finale in some ways. Yes. Yes. So today uh, on a very special TSL podcast, yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, don't really know what the schedule will be moving forward. I know you've got a big trip coming up, right? I'm going to the, I'm flying to the Caribbean next Tuesday. So this is definitely a season finale for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't Y'all can do whatever. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> Have a guest you'll be on. watching from wherever you'll be. No, anyways, I probably won't be. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep everyone posted on what's uh, what the schedule is looking like moving forward. But in the meantime, you still go to TechSideline.com. Even if he's in the Caribbean, he's still going to have great content on TSL at some point. So what's coming up at least this week before you leave? Well, Chris? Will's going to write a Monday Thoughts or has written. Mostly written. Mostly yeah. written the Monday Thoughts. Uh, Brandon Patterson sent an article, which I can now postpone until tomorrow. I'm going to do some more on my PFF series. It got delayed by our, you know, coverage of spring practice and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, regular Friday Q and a, um, bigger question for me is what I've, what I'm going to write to leave for him to post next week. I'm yeah. Done. He has to write seven yeah. articles before he goes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just kidding. It won't be that many, but it'll be like two or three. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, gentlemen, uh, great show today. Any, any, uh, closing thoughts? Uh, no, that ran quite long. It, didn't expect that. Oh well, I, at this point, I expect them yeah. all to run long. Yeah. Yes. We, we get we're getting so many good questions. These we days. that's the thing, yeah. and, and I tell you what, the converse. I mean, anyways, who doesn't love a long pot? My favorite is when we say like, "Oh, we're past an hour." And people are like, "No, it's okay. Go mm -hmm. go long. We enjoy it." So, anyways, uh, Twitter Otzi, stay stay uh, classy out there. And uh, I'm so I love that word. I'm serious. You need to. I, I actually called it. Out. I actually pronounced it Twitterati, but Twitterati. Oh, Twitter I'm Twitter sorry. Twitterati sounds like paparazzi. So well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Twitterati. They. They both go hand So now I'm in flux. I'm not sure which one I should use. <laughs> be sure to check out Will's article today. It's going to be a great one. He's on Twitter at Will Stewart TSL. And Chris is on Twitter at Chris Coleman TSL. Maybe he'll tweet out pictures of him on the beach somewhere, you know, having to enjoy the nice weather. So, um, yeah, that'll wrap things up. 
Thanks so much to everybody for watching and listening. And we're on Twitter at Tech Sideline as well to stay up to date with everything going on in Virginia Tech Athletics. That'll wrap it up for our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Thanks so long and thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 178 of the Tech Sideline podcast presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Have a great week, Hokies. We'll talk to you soon.